It's from the book of Isaiah, chapter 55, verses 1 to 9, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. Ho, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and you that have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk, without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread, and your labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me, and eat what is good, and delight yourselves in rich food. Incline your ear, and come to me. Listen so that you may live, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant my steadfast, sure love for David. See, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and commander for the peoples. See, you shall call nations that you do not know, and nations that you do not know, you shall run, <coughs> that do not know you, shall run to you, because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their way and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them return to the Lord that he may have mercy on them and to our Lord, <coughs> God that he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my ways uh, and my thoughts than your thoughts. Thanks be to God for this reading of his word. It is from the letter of Paul to the Colossians, chapter 1, Verses 15 to 20, reading from the New Revised Standard Version. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For in him all things in heaven and on earth were created, things visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers. All things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the church, sorry, head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he might come to have first place in everything. For in him, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him, God was pleased to reconcile to him all things, whether on earth or in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross. Thanks be to God for this reading of his word. There is a story which may or may not have happened, which doesn't necessarily mean it isn't true, about a school 
children drawing pictures in the classroom. And the teacher passes among, offering encouragement and looking at the work that these young children are producing, and comes to one child and said, that's very, very good. What's it a drawing of? Ah, said the child, it's a drawing of God. Well, said the teacher, no one really knows what God looks like. Ah, said the child, that's because I haven't finished yet. Is there not something about human nature that makes us want to finish the picture? We live in a society which is soaked through and through with information. We find it on our news, in our conversation, on the television, tablets, computers, internet. Some of it admittedly trivial and some of it important. The information is there at our fingertips. Although if you type text like I do, it doesn't always turn out as you quite expected. It seems for human beings, blanks are a challenge. Whether it's the favorite color of the TV reality stars, or the origins of the universe, or getting up to hear what the President of the United States has thought when he first wakes, everybody seems to want to know the information. And there is something about human beings that wants to identify, to classify, and to use the information to enrich and enjoy the lives they have together, but also to understand the world and their life that they take day by day. Understanding to shaping, and from shaping, wanting to control the environment in which they live. I don't know where you stand or what you've talked about, but you will be aware that in the discussions that have surrounded uh, the negotiations about Europe, there have been all sorts of stories and all sorts of information flowing out from different sources. And the question has always been, who do we believe? What is the right information? Because information by itself is to some extent neutral. You need a framework to interpret what is going on, what is being said, what should be treated as of value and what discarded as useless. Information is the way in which we understand our connectedness, our sense of belonging, our relationships in which we make sense of the world in which we live. You will be aware, of course, that there have been billions and billions and billions of words about theories and analogies and explanations and pictures of doctrine about God, even within our own Western culture, let alone anywhere else. Generation after generation and century after century, people have been invited to find their place in the story that God is telling. Surely we encourage people to study scripture and the variety of encounters that we find with people, differing sorts of people, have had with God so that we can reflect with others upon our own experiences. 
I'm sure that in a place like this, there is a rich melting pot to draw upon of people and situations, of wisdom, and perhaps failures as well, that help you to understand more about God. But God's self is never wholly explained or exhausted by our human constructs of languages or images. God both discloses and eludes. It is not defined by our words, nor controlled by our good intentions. Sometimes people find this very frustrating or irritating. It would be much better if we knew what God was about and we could sort ourselves out accordingly. Indeed, there are some who believe that in their doctrines, their words, their worship, their experiences, they have somehow nailed God down to the essence. And they know just where they stand and what they can expect of God. Nothing more and nothing less. And then you find such people have got hold of an idol. These things provide attractive and powerful motivations in the world. They encourage virtue and stimulate hope, inspire confidence, but these images of God also have been used to defend racism, the exploitation of people for their gender and sexuality, a misuse of authority and power in God's name, as people have understood it. They have been little gods to pursue. But the message of scripture is always this, let God be God. Not a human projection, not a domesticated God who turns up when we want and is not too upsetting. The encounters that we find in scripture and in the story of Christian people and others is that God is not a closed box, but an open door with an invitation. Surely this is why that in an age where so many have little to do with the organised church or the rules or the structures, there is still a deep desire for contact and spirituality and a sense of God with us and for us. The Old Testament, as you will know, is a varied collection of books written over many years. It involves poetry and liturgy and story as the story of God with one group of people is made plain. We attempted to think, reading through from Genesis to Malachi, that from one end to the other, there's a more sophisticated idea of God emerges by the end to move into the Christian era. But actually, as we look at it, with the books brought all together at the same time, there is an understanding that the pictures are not necessarily in harmony. The God who is celebrated in freedom and justice at the Exodus is also a God who seems to connive at ethnic cleansing when they arrive at the Promised Land. The God of the new exile and hope and a new beginning can also be a God who is asked to take vengeance upon the enemies of the children of Israel. And when we get a hint of universalism in the God of Jonah, 
we read too of how the people feared they had left God behind in the ruins of the temple as they were taken off into captivity. These pictures, these fragments, these images are all there in the same texts, reminding us that God is greater. We read from a book of the prophet of Isaiah, we understand that these words were probably put together when the people were in exile, when they were a captive people. They were powerless. They had been defeated. They felt guilty that they had let God down or that God had let them down. And their prospects looked dim. The prophet reminds the people, my ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. There is something distinct between the provisional and the permanent, the temporal and the timeless, the creative and the created. And the prophet we know as Isaiah brings the word of God speaking into a particular human situation at a particular human time. God comes through the familiar, the expectation that men and women would share words of wisdom with the people. They would feel burdened to say something. But he also comes, the prophet does, with unexpected news. For in the midst of that daily drudgery of being an enslaved people, in their loss of hope, in their vulnerability, they are offered the invitation to freely take what they cannot afford to buy. To receive what they think they do not deserve. To make a fresh start when they thought there was only a dead end. Here God does a new thing and expands their understanding. We move forward a few centuries to our second reading and to the letter of Paul written to a group of Christian believers in a fairly short time after the events of death and resurrection of Jesus. Here we are invited by Paul to see God in the image and person of Jesus Christ. We're not wholly sure the context in which the letter was written, but it appears, working through it, that we have a group of people whom Paul has come, shared the news of Christ, crucified and risen, new life available, founded a church community, moved on elsewhere, and then others have come along. And these others appear to say that, well, what Paul has told you is all very good, but it's not, it's not everything. You need to have some more information. You need secret words to access the truths of God. You need a secret message that Paul has only brought you something. You need secret rituals to enable you to unlock the God who stands behind Jesus. And Paul begins to write to say, this is not so. Jesus is not some sort of secondary deity, but is stamped with the essence of God. 
you can be confident that in the preaching of the message you have heard all that needs to be said and that in encountering God through death and resurrection you do not need to look for more rituals for more things that get you into different, <clears throat> different boxes of God's making. And so we have, as we often do in Paul's writings, this very dense theological uh, phraseology where he seeks to tease out for the people that they do not need to be thinking of Jesus as lesser and hope for something more. As a former Archbishop of Canterbury said, God is Christ-like. And in him there is no unchristlikeness at all. That is, God it reveals, uh, Christ reveals not exhaustively, but really, the mystery of God's nature. Suffering love, acting to reconcile itself to a glorious but broken creation. To men and women who feel they have failed. To those who look for something deeper and richer in life. For those who want to find fulfilment and hope. And this comes as a revelation. <clears throat> because the understanding had been that you had to have specialised knowledge, specialised access to draw God closer to you. Paul says, in Jesus there is all that you need for the journey. Thinking through these passages, it struck me that uh, one of the things we need to encourage in Christian churches and indeed in the world today is a greater sense of wonder. It's been said that uh, reflecting on the nature of God is like standing in front of a waterfall with a thimble. There is so much, but there is so much more. But God is not a mystery to be solved, as if God's self were a puzzle where we work out the clues. But a life to be celebrated. In our daily living and the people that we meet, through worship, through our inner reflections and spirituality. The appeal is, don't accept a diminished, a restricted God, but let what is thought what is experienced, what is sought after. Take people deeper and deeper into God. Now as Baptists, and if you're not a Baptist, maybe you will still understand the analogy, as the Baptists we've tended to be very good at being activists, at doing things, at preparing programmes, organizing strategies, doing rather than being. Perhaps to us especially comes the word stop and drink deeply. Sometimes wonder is in short supply in the world around us. When we are faced by the deluge of information when we are overwhelmed by the commonplace of the ordinary and everyday. 
to realize that is in there is the wonder of God. William Blake, to see the world in a grain of sand and eternity in an hour. Making this move will put people into the place where they recognize their createdness and need of others. Putting us there will find us with humility in the face of living our daily lives and humility in the face of God. What difference would it make to communities to live in that way? Isaiah and Paul both exhort their hearers to connect with the everyday, which points to the transcendent. To seize on the moments of days of everybody's ordinary lives and yet understand that the depths of God are there for them. As with the Colossians, people now can be confident Confident in God who reveals himself in Jesus Christ. That we worship and contemplate <clears throat> not a tribal deity, <coughs> not even just the God of the Christians, but the life force of the universe made real. And made real in liberating draw on another hymn writer that we're not going to sing today the opportunity to be lost in wonder love and praise thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift to us in Jesus Christ we take a moment to reflect upon our worship and our words We come to our time of intercession, our prayers of concern for other people. Uh, within this, there will be an opportunity to respond and to reflect. Uh, we will think of some uh, topics, leave a little bit of quiet, and then at the invitation, Lord, in your mercy, we pray, hear our prayer. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We pray together. For the world in which we live, we pray for those who navigate the complex world, trying to bring about peace with justice and harmony. We pray for those who are tempted to abuse their positions of authority for personal gain or reputation. We pray for those for whom September will bring a new academic year. <clears throat> for those who will be starting at a new class, a new school, a university. For those who are beginning new jobs and a bright future. 
We pray for all who are involved in the education system, students, teachers, ancillary staff and administrators. And we pray too for those who will have been disappointed, who will be rethinking where to go, who will be seeking for the next step forward. We think of those who are pressed to the margins in our societies, those who are prejudiced against because of their lack of education, lack of resources, because of the colour of their skin or gender or sexual identity, for those who are made to feel they do not belong. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We think of the community in which this building is set. For those who day by day come walking past the doors to go to their workplaces and businesses. We think too of those who pass the doors seeking employment or who are fearful about the future. For those who live rough and at the sharp end of life. We remember all who will be involved in the carnival in Notting Hill today and tomorrow. And we pray for the local councillors and politicians and community leaders. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We focus our prayers upon this church community. For the ministers, Simon and Dawn, and all this diverse company of individuals who comprise this community. And for those who visit, we pray grant your blessing. For the work that is supported by the church, and the effects it has upon people day by day. People's lives are touched. Simple words of friendship, acts of kindness, opportunities of enjoyment and friendship. this time of change, we pray especially for vision and confidence to grasp with imagination the future that is unfolding. And we pray too for the partnership of Christians in this neighbourhood of whatever historical liturgical tradition.
Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. We think of those whose needs and joys are known to us. We remember especially Ruth and Ian Goldborn as they settled down in a new home, a new environment, a new church community. We pray for one another with our daily routines. And we pray for the people sitting nearest to us with their excitements and their worries, their hopes and their challenges. God, keep on renewing our willingness to be committed to the way of Jesus Christ among our friends, our families, our workplace, our community and our church. Lord, in your mercy, for we pray through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.